Thank you for listening to Life Church Podcast. For more information, go to lifechurchofcolumbia.org. On some of the things that I'm just going to allude to that we taught on Sunday morning, uh, if you weren't, uh, it's online. You can go back and catch that online. It'll be under the title of Cultivating the Kingdom. Tonight we'll probably be cultivating the kingdom part two. Or, uh, but I want to go back and revisit these scriptures and dive into some stuff that I just think is phenomenal. Uh, I taught you Sunday that this parable out of the book of Matthew, chapter number 13, uh, Jesus literally said that this is the parable of all parables, meaning if you don't understand this parable, you'll not understand the concepts of the kingdom. So I've decided to hang out here a while, actually did some teaching online um, on this concept. I guess that will be on Facebook too if you want to go on there and find it on a Monday night. And then we did a Wednesday night last week from my home. So I'm going to just hammer on this stuff a while till I just feel like it's really in our spirit. Um, because I, I think there's a great misunderstanding of what faith looks like. Uh, I think that some reason or other we've thought faith grants us permission to disengage from the activity of God. It's almost like we think faith is a license to sit idly by and God's either going to do it or he ain't going to do it. Uh, And it's so contrary to the concepts of the kingdom. And uh, uh, it's just we're going to try to marry these two to where faith is co-laboring with God. It is God, us operating by God's strength, God's power, God's provision, God's wisdom. Amen. But God will never allow you and I to sit on the sideline and he goes out there and becomes a playmaker. He needs you. Even with scriptures that I love out of 2 Chronicles, he told them, he said, you can't win this battle. The battle's not yours. It belongs to me. And then he goes on down and says, now go out on the battlefield and set yourselves in array. So in other words, I'm going to do the fighting for you, but you have to position yourself. And so I believe that uh, this misunderstanding of the kingdom concepts, kingdom principles, this misunderstanding of faith has created gross neglect. <laughs> and, and, and what I'm teaching on right now is really something that's foreign to me. I've never heard it taught. God's never gave it to me this way. Uh, but, 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 it'll come out in a minute. But because of this faulty mindset, we've neglected the amenities of the kingdom that, that comes in seed form that's very susceptible. That's where we're going back tonight. Amen. That uh, everything from the kingdom comes to you in seed form and it is so susceptible. Matter of fact, Y'all, did y'all take that def- definition down last week? Oh, I wish I'd have brought my definition. Man. Oh, I do have it. Susceptibility is the state or fact of being likely or liable to be influenced or harmed by a particular thing. I've been approved to you by Scripture. Everything God gives you is very likely and liable to be influenced or harmed by a particular environment. In other words, the kingdom of God can only grow in a conducive environment. And hear me, believer, it's our responsibility to create the environment for the seed to grow. Amen. So we're going to go back there. Uh, Go to Matthew chapter number 13. I should have got my wife to read that. Uh, Patty, would you read it? You got a My Candy here somewhere? Uh, Do y'all see one that I could grab? Do you have your Passion Translation? That's okay. I meant Amplified. She's going to read it quickly and you go with her. Uh, The book of Matthew, I'm trying to find it myself, chapter number 13. Is Matthew in the New Testament? Oh, there it is. Matthew 13, beginning in verse number 1, and she's going to read through 8. Babe, if I jump in. Go ahead. On the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea, and great multitudes were gathered together to him, 
so that he got into a boat and sat, and the whole num multitude stood on the shore. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. All right, jump down to verse number 19. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away that what was sown in his heart. I'm going to interrupt you a little bit just to get us back on the same track. Uh, I'm giving you three particulars in just here of how susceptible the seed is. Remember, he said the, the seed is the word of God. We're talking about the power of this word. But the first thing that will hinder, influence, um, negate the word of God in your life is the lack of understanding. Yes. You cannot, be, you cannot be satisfied with not understanding. We must seek our heart to understand the word that we study. Because if you don't understand it, you're going to lose it. It's something about church. It's amazing to me if you were going to go and take a test for a job that we would study real hard and we would make sure we knew the material. Why are we okay with coming to church and hearing words that we do not understand? We think it's normal. We think it's natural. No. It's not normal nor natural. we got to make the extra effort to understand what's being taught or what I'm reading. So the seed is very susceptible. Go ahead. Snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received seed by the wayside. But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now he who received seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word. Did y'all hear that part right there? That part just really stands out to me. Another thing that makes the word of God real susceptible, what I'm teaching you tonight, what you read in the Bible, is if you get so busy with the cares of this life, it'll choke out your spiritual life. Anybody ever been there? Anybody ever been there? Come on, don't look at me like that. We've all been there to where it's just life. Not sin. Life just chokes the life of God out of us. Uh, so these are areas that, that makes the word of God very susceptible in our life. And only you can govern that. Let's finish up those scriptures. Choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. But he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word, understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some 60, and some 30. Okay, just for a point of reference, jump over to the book of Genesis, chapter number 2, verse number 15, scriptures that we taught Sunday morning, and we're going to dive into this. Genesis 2, 15. And the Bible says, And the Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden, to dress it and to keep it. We taught extensively on that Sunday morning, so I'm not going to fall for the temptation to do that. Uh, amen. Uh, going to make some statements to you. Visitations from God. Amen. God, God likes to visit you with his presence uh, in many different ways. He visits us corporately. He wants to visit you in your prayer time. But let me tell you something. Visitations from God are given by an act of grace. And when God shows up in your life, whether it be by conviction to stir you to a deeper walk in, uh, with God, it's always an, it's, it's an act of grace, but it's to pro provoke a hunger for a continual habitation, which is not an act of grace. I'm going to pour this in here till you get it. Amen. I'm going to say it again. Visitations from God is the grace and the mercy of God uh, that comes on your life. It happens before you're even saved as a sinner. It was the conviction of God. I was a drunk alcoholic, just losing my family. You know my testimony. He paid me a visit to bring conviction in my life by his grace. But then I had a responsibility to cultivate what he stirred me with. Huh? 
Hey, listen to me. Because if not, feelings die. Somebody say it with me. Feelings die. I don't care how religious they are, how holy they are, how passionate you are. Can y'all just wave at me if it's happened to you? God will drop that in you, but I promise you it will die. The Old Testament principle was uh, they built an altar. The fire of God came down on the altar. He said, y'all can't start the fire because that'll be strange fire. That's a whole new teaching. We can't create this thing. But if we'll position ourselves, God starts to fire and the, the fire, and then he backs off and says, okay, now keep it burning. Yeah. <laughs> Look at your neighbor right there and tell them that's your responsibility. Amen. So many passions die. So many visions die. So many dreams die. So many ministries die in the womb of the believer. It's the, seed of, it's the seed of God planted in us, but because we didn't understand that, oh my God, I got to cultivate what God put in me, it just dies. And, and, and then we just go on about our way. No, we're, we're going to cultivate that. So visitations for God are given by the, an act of the grace of God, but if you want that continual abiding presence in your life, you got to cultivate it. You got to cultivate it. Hear me now, this is some really... Important teaching because uh, we've even created doctrines that churches go through seasons. Now, that's true to a certain degree, but the Bible teaches we produce fruit in every season. Uh, you know, it's an old saying of pastors, you know, we, we, us pastors get together. How's it going? Well, you know how it is with the church. It's up and down and up and And it's just natural. We'll even preach messages on how to live on a roller coaster. <laughs> Are you listening to me? When what we didn't really realize, God didn't intend us to be up one month and down the next, up this year. He, he intended us to take the high he puts us on, cultivate that environment, and live continually in that atmosphere. Can y'all receive this teaching? In other words, I don't have to have peace, one joy, I meant one month, and be depressed the next. If I know how to cultivate the spiritual fruit that's in my life called peace. And that's where we're headed tonight if I get there. Oh, it's so good. Out of Colossians chapter number three is where we're headed. Um, so I need you to understand uh, sustaining the environment of the presence of God in your life. It's not an act of God's grace. It's really an act of sowing and reaping. Uh, Charles Finney said, revival is not a miracle. It's a principle. Um, y'all didn't catch that, did you? Let me put it like this. Revival's no more a miracle than a crop. Wow, that worked, didn't it? Huh? Ain't no farmer in his right mind walked out and stood beside his field. It's all grown over and said, I'm just believing for corn. Somebody help me right now. I'm just seed double. I'm just believing for corn and I want a hundred times. Amen. Are you listening to me? Uh-uh. Ain't no way. He, he's not a fool. He works with God. Is anybody? The farmer works with God. So he joins his faith with God, breaks up the field, plants the one plants, one waters, and God, God causes the increase. Amen. The reason our lives are so up and down is because we don't understand this principle of all principles. We don't cultivate the feelings, the emotions, the callings and anointing. Listen to me. My God, I'm not going to get to where I need to get. Every aspect of the kingdom. I'm repeating myself from some statements you may have wrote down Sunday morning. Every aspect of the kingdom, somebody shout every, every aspect of the kingdom comes in seed form. Matter of fact, Jesus came in seed form. <laughs> the king of our kingdom, right? Everything is in seed form and nothing is no more vulnerable than when it's in its seed form. So every aspect of the kingdom, salvation comes in seed form. I'm going to give you the scripture to back that up. Dreams. I just so believe. Do y'all know that's New Testament stuff? That you're going to have dreams. Uh, you know, we, we say you're going to be filled with the Holy Ghost and speak in tongues. That's Acts chapter number 2. We believe that. We preach that. But you know what it really says? It says you're going to dream dreams and have visions and prophesy. Huh? I don't think we have any because we're not expecting any. And maybe God gave you one you didn't cultivate. Hmm. 
Thank you. Because it was that heavy. Maybe he gave you a vision that you thought, well, you know, God showed me he'll do it. No, he meant for you to partner with what he showed you. Uh, so salvation, dreams, visions, the gifts, the fruit, prophetic words, feelings. Oh, here's one for you. Faith is given to you by an act of God's grace, but they're maintained and increased by cultivation. God said, I give everybody a seed of faith. Measure of faith. I give you that seed of faith. question is, what have you done with the faith that God gave you? Did you cultivate it? Did you water it? Did you pour into it? Did you feed it? Did you fertilize it? Uh, man, I got to go. Somebody say, move on, pastor. <laughs> Everything is given to you. We see this in the Old Testament. You remember, uh, it, it's a state of maturity. It's immature people who are wishy-washy. It's immature Christians who are up and down. It's immature Christians who never maintain a level of stability. On fire one minute, want to do something. I want to help pastor. I want to do this. I want to do that. Uh, amen. And before you know it, you put them to work and they're busy for a little while. And before you know it, they go to whining. Huh? Why? Because that's the content or the culture they've created in their life because they didn't know that I have to cultivate these gifts in my life to keep them going. I can prove to you that it's a step of maturity when you become stable. You become steady. It's what the Bible calls faithful. I love where Paul told Timothy, stand up, Timothy, and be a man. Endure hardness as a good soldier. Soldier, And what I'm teaching to you, pass it on to faithful men. Don't give it to fickle, fickle people. Quit giving my word to fickle people. Amen. Fickle people don't have a right to stand in front of faithful people and teach and preach. Amen. He said, be careful with this seed. You can't give it to fickle people. Amen. Because <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I am on a roll. I just need you to know as a kingdom to principle. Matter of fact, I was going to give it to you before I move on of maturity. He teaches this in the Old Testament when God fed a manna. You know what manna was for 40 years? You know what that really was? Baby food. It was just baby food. <laughs> it was, it was uh, uh, cinnamon bread. Mm. <laughs> oh, my wife got in the spirit on that one. <laughs> it, it was cinnamon bread, but it was baby food. No meat. It was just baby food for 40 years. But isn't it amazing? He said, now, you're about to go into the promised land, and when you go over in there, you're going to do the Passover, and when you do the Passover, manna is going to cease, and you're going to eat the fruit of that land, and then you're going to have to cultivate for the rest of your life, or you're going to starve to death. Are y'all hearing me? You'll starve to death trying to live in a mature land a land of maturity where you're not cultivating. People sitting in churches starving to death trying to depend on a pastor to feed them. When you don't realize, I'm not feeding you, I'm seeding you. I'm giving you seed to go and sow outside this church. Amen. The reason you're wishy-washy, not y'all, I'm just talking to people online. The reason you're wishy-washy and up and down and undependable, amen, is simply because you come to church and eat your fruit you eat the seed instead of taking it and cultivating in your life. And let me tell you why you're not cultivating. Are you all right tonight? It's because you're stinking lazy. Boy, that was just real forward, wasn't it? Just stinking lazy. You would rather somebody else prepare the meal, give it to you, rather than you taking the seed, plowing the ground, breaking it up, planting the seed. Somebody shout hallelujah. Hear me tonight. I got to go every. Every visitation, every revelation. When's the last time you got revelation from God on your own? Uh, not you new converts. It ain't time for that yet. But I mean, when's the last time God gave you something? Really, when's the last time he gave you something? Can I tell you, if there's long periods of time before there's visitations and revelations, it's because you didn't steward the last one well. Mark, mark it down. You, you better write that down. Say, hmm, that's why. That's why. So instead of, before you ask God for another revelation or visitation or inspiration, why don't you go ahead and add to that prayer, Father, if you'll give me another, I'm going to steward it this time. 
And watch him begin to give you revelation. So every visitation, every revelation, every spiritual desire. This is where I'm headed tonight, spiritual desires. Spiritual desire. Do you know you have no spiritual desire without it being a gift of God? You don't. You don't. And the problem with that is if you don't cultivate the one he gave you, it will die. And you'll find yourself just being a religious church goer. Somebody wave at me if you've ever been there. Huh? The rest of you will lie to, to my face. I've done it preaching the gospel. Surely you have. Just, just let desire die and just kind of go through the motions. Amen. Your wife wouldn't put up with that. I'm just seeing if y'all caught that. Huh? Well, she ought to be happy. I'm here in body. I can tell you about your wife. She don't want your body. She wants your heart. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I want your heart. You think you that big hunk? I don't want your lips. I want your heart. <laughs> they may want to kiss every now and then too. I don't know. I don't know about women. Who knows about women? You understand? We thank God. Oh, yeah, move on, Josh said. We, we thank God's happy because your body's here. Huh? He had double. He, he had that in the Old Testament. He said, I took you by the hand and drug you through the wilderness. And every time I let go, you'd get another girlfriend. <laughs> he said it. He said, every time I let go, you'd go commit adultery with somebody else. He said, not in the New Testament. He said, I, 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 uh, I'm going to write my law on your heart. And, and you're going to have a passion for me. Amen. And then, even though God deposits that passion, I have to keep the fire burning. Isn't that, that's not deep revelation. That's relational teaching. In any relationship, friendships have to be maintained. Husband and wife relationships have to be maintained or you will lose them. So every spiritual desire is an invitation. Listen to this. Let's just focus on desire right now. But I want you to think about every gift, the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is a spiritual fruit that comes out of the Spirit. But when that Spirit uh, deposits in me, I must cultivate that spiritual fruit. I got to feed it or it'll die. It'll dry up on the vine. It'll, it'll, it'll die. So ever desires an invitation from God, hear this statement. I just keep interrupting myself. Every spiritual desire is an invitation from God to live a consistent lifestyle on that level. Every spiritual desire in other words, any inclination to do anything good for God, with God. Every spiritual desire is an invitation from God to live consist a consistent lifestyle on that level. What I'm teaching you is for the big boys today. I'm not teaching beginners. I know we got some young, but I mean, even you, Dylan, starting off right now, need to know, you know what? I don't have to be unpredictable, unfaithful, fragile, all them other words. If I know how to cultivate this thing, no matter what my circumstances are, I can have a consistent level of emotional stability. Oh my God, that right there, it makes salvation worth it all to be stable emotionally. <laughs> Look at your neighbor and tell her there's hope for you. <laughs> you mean emotional stability? What I'm trying to tell you is none of this stuff comes natural. It's supernatural seed planted in you that you have to cultivate because that seed is susceptible to your environment. Oh, I've got to go and teach on the greenhouse effect. Josh did some teaching on this several years back that really is consistent with what I'm trying to tell you. So I'm going to say it one more time before I go. Every spiritual desire is an invitation from God to live a consistent lifestyle on that level, comma, but, hear me, but its consistency will depend upon your stewardship. Its consistency will depend upon you dressing it and keeping it. That's Genesis 2, uh, 15. I gave you those definitions Sunday. So I told you that even salvation comes in seed form. 
In other words, when you get saved, your spirit is as holy as it's ever going to be. <laughs> I mean, the Holy Spirit can't get no holier. When you get saved, your spirit is, excuse me, <laughs> stuff's flying out of my mouth. When you get saved, your spirit is perfect. It's the fullness of God deposited in man. But it's in seed form that now that spirit begins to conform my feelings and my emotions and this old outer man into that perfect state, and it's a process. Right? It's a process. And this holy seed, it, isn't it amazing? Even something so holy, even holy things planted by God have the tendency to wane. The holiest thing. The fire of God that comes from God and just ignites the altar will go out. It will go out. The fire of God that comes when you're hearing a sermon taught or preached or in the presence of God and he ignites you to change the world. When you walk out that door, it'll go out. If you don't partner with it, cultivate it, and build it up. Matter of fact, that's uh, Philippians 2.12. Just write it down because I'm going to read it out of the Amplified because it so fits right now. And I'm going to prove to you that salvation is a seed that God gave you and it's an indescribable gift and you have the honor of cultivating that thing and watching it grow. That's Philippians chapter number 2, verse number 12. Listen to me. So then, my dear ones... Just if you, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but even in my absence. Well, that's a healthy church. Yeah, you'd, you'd be surprised how many times I'm walking around in a grocery store and one of my members see me and they hide. Huh? Yeah, they over behind the butter beans. Why? Because they got a guilty conscience. Because of what they was doing when I wasn't looking. <laughs> Paul said, oh, you dear ones <laughs> who obey my teaching, not only when I'm around, but when I ain't around. Huh? Well, it used to be bad in this church. When I travel, I, I wouldn't come, so you wouldn't come. Yeah. Well, I'm not saying that to the Wednesday night crowd because you're always here. Huh? Amen. That's a weak church that lays out a church when the pastor's out of town. I'm just going to throw this plug in here right now. Amen. Huh? But I believe we're, we're overcoming that. Amen. Paul said, whether I'm here or there, you're being obedient to God. And you're being faithful to God. Listen to me. That scripture goes on to say, continue to work out your salvation. And if you looked at, broke that down in the Greek, it means cultivate it and bring it to full effect. Actively pursuing spiritual maturity. So he said... Work out, somebody shout, work it out. Work out what? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. 13, for it is not, it is God who's at work with you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Did you hear what that's saying? In other words, God partners with a faith that actively cultivates the kingdom from within. God said, if you will start working out the work I began in you, I'm going to partner with your activity and give you the power, the will to do, and the power to do. Man, it's, it's a no-brainer. God said, hey, man, if you're wondering why you, you're so weak all the time, it's because you don't do nothing for God to partner with. Huh? You never take that step of faith. You never step beyond your feelings and your emotions uh, to, to cultivate the life of God in you. He said, I will, I will work with those who will work. So it's the Genesis 2.15 principle. And the Lord God took the man, put him in the garden, told him to dress it and keep it. Let me tell you what. This level of work, and we're going to use that word work. Paul didn't have a problem using it. Work, what's the work, Genesis 2.15, of dressing and keeping, in other words, cultivating what God planted. That's the original kingdom, right? Adam and Eve in the garden. He said, this level of work, uh, of dressing and keeping what God by His grace planted in us is His garden. 
He's, and this level of work, catch this, with a disposition of fear and trembling is an act of worship on our part. Did y'all catch that? According to these scriptures, God saves. You can't save yourselves. It's, it's, it's not of works lest any man should boast. It is the work of God. Amen. But that salvation will produce works in your life. And he said that, uh, that when you begin to work out your salvation with a dis disposition of fear and trembling, it's a form of worship on your part. In other words, you so understand the magnitude of this precious gift in you that it creates an awe in you. And because of the awe in you, it's worship to God. It's, it's, it's you letting God know this salvation is so special to me that I'm going to be very careful with it. I'm going to feed it. I'm going to cultivate it. Are y'all with me? Because And what I mean by worship is you actually proper, you place the proper value on the things of God. You place the proper value on your salvation, if you will, by your relentless stewardship, by your willingness to work the ground. In other words, I don't take lightly what God did in my life. Hear me, believers. I believe God's about to start giving you dreams, prophetic dreams, prophetic vision, and revelations out of the word of God. I'm preparing you. God will not. He only gives seed to the sower and food to the eater. He said, I'm not going to give you this seed if you're not going to turn around and take that seed and do something with it. I want that to be your prayer. Father, forgive me. I'm, uh, I, I want to be open to these things coming into my life, and I'm going to steward them well. Now, listen to me. There's, there's plenty to say about the fear of God concerning stewardship. Now, you could just teach a whole class. I want to take it a little different direction tonight. Because uh, like I said, there's plenty to be said about just the fear of God, which you don't hear taught anymore, concerning the stewardship of this indescribable undes uh, gift of God that he's given us. But there's another aspect of healthy fear that comes into play in this scripture. That's what I want to talk about. It's a different aspect of fear that comes into play with this scripture when it says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And that's found in Hebrews 4 and 1. Write down Hebrews 4, 1 through 3. I'm going to show you this different aspect of fear. Hebrews 4 and 1 said, are y'all with me? Let us therefore fear. Isn't it amazing? I was telling you how many times I didn't look, how many times Jesus said, fear not, fear not, fear not. Never does he tell us to fear to a certain degree, except when it's a healthy fear. I want to show you a healthy fear. Hebrews 4 and 1. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest that any of you would seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached just like it was preached to them. He's pointing back to the children of, of Israel in the Old Testament. He said the gospel was preached to us just like it was preached to them. But look, but the word that was preached, it did not profit them because they did not mix faith with it. In other words, God sowed good seed to them. The word was preached to you. Amen. But they refused to take that word and mix some faith with it. Verse 3 says, For we which have believed do enter into rest. But God said, They shall not enter in my rest, though the works were finished from the foundation of the world. God was saying, I had so much laid out for you. I had so many plans for you. So many gifts, callings, dreams, visions, amen, prophecies, ministries, everything. But when the word come to you because you wouldn't partner with it, you never got to step into it. And it was finished before you was ever born. In other words, they failed to steward. They failed to mix their faith with the word preached. Let me tell you what, there's a great deficit in the body of Christ. 
There's a great divide between the pulpit and the pew. Yeah. I, I can tell there's a divide between the pulpit and pew when I have to counsel people and use the same scriptures that I preached on Sunday. It lets me know people are not hearing. Just like this scripture. The, the word is being preached and we're being equipped to be able to sustain, maintain, and even be progressive in our lives. But the seed is falling to the ground and we're not mixing our faith with it by engaging it with works and activity in our lives. Are, are y'all listening to me? It's amazing to me. It used to be the most discouraging thing to me to study and pray so hard, preach so hard, and still see so much weakness in the body of Christ. It's because we're just like the children of Israel. We don't mix our faith with it. Are you listening to me? So he said, they didn't mix anything with it. They failed to dress it. They failed to keep it. They failed to cultivate what God was giving us. It's amazing to me that we got a Bible with all the answers that produces every amount, every bit of the peace, joy, strength, you name it. It's right here in this Bible that most of us probably read every day and live a depleted life. Are y'all listening to me teach tonight? Amen. That means there's a disconnect of me cultivating what's written, written in this, this powerful Bible of, of partnering with it and dressing it and keeping it and cultivating it in our life. Let me tell you what a proper pursuit ought to be. It's like a, this thing is like a treasure map. It's a treasure map. I love them kind of movies. What's that movie with a... Huh? Yeah, National Treasures. Y'all see all of them? I've seen them all a hundred times. I just love that kind of stuff. And they're taking that map. Y'all see that? And man, they're, they're, filling out, they're, they're figuring out the clues. And some of them they couldn't figure out by themselves, so they'd have to get people with them. And they're having to study and they're having to look. Amen. That's the way the kingdom of It's like a, a map to a fortune. So you got to study it. you got to analyze it. you gotta, uh, 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 you got to dig into it. You just can't read a piece of it and throw it down and make it to the wealth at the end of it. Are you following me? And I just love that because what, what makes them so adamant is because they know that they're going to be rich when they get to the treasure. That's, that's, that's the pursuit God expects for us when we realize of the riches of the kingdom. Not some faithless, nonchalant approach of, does it even exist? Oh, you got to go with me for a few minutes. Come on now, I'm going to expose something. Not a, well, I really don't even know if it exists. If I don't think it exists, I'm not going to go through near the effort to find it. Oh, come on now, I'm saying something. We're going to work this just a little bit. Are, are, are you following me? It, it ought to be an anticipated expectation of the fullness of God that produces a fear that I could, should, that I could miss it. That's what it, are you catching it? Huh? Not some, oh my God, I'm scared to death, but I'm so convinced of this great life God has for me and this great kingdom God has for me and this fullness of peace, joy, strength, whatever I need in my life. And I'm so convinced of it and I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm studying and I'm looking and I'm following this treasure map uh, and, and I, I'm, I'm pursuing it with a fear that I could miss it. I always taught my kids, the fear of coming short will always help you hit the mark. It's a healthy fear. You can't just throw up and shoot. <laughs> you got you to gotta take aim. The, the, the fear of missing that is what will help you hit the mark. Amen? Are y'all following me? Can, can, we, can we work this just a little bit? It's, it's, it, it produces a fear that I could come short of it, and I so believe that it's for me that I'm willing to mix some sweat equity of faith with the promise. 
I, I, I so trust the God who promised it to me. I so believe that it can be me. It can be mine. That I'm willing to put the sweat equity of my faith with that promise. Matter of fact, look at it this way. The, the measure of your relentless pursuit will be consistent with the measure of your expectation. Now, you need to think about that for a minute. I'm going to say it again. The measure of your relentless pursuit will be consistent with the measure of your expectation that it even exists and is available for you. In other words, many messages are preached that are so far beyond you, us, that we're so skeptical of it, we don't even pursue it. When if we had an, 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 a faith that that's my word, it would stir a relentless pursuit until you got a hold to it. Could it be that dead churches, dead spiritual lives, is simply because we don't even have an expectation there's a wealth of inheritance waiting on me. Could it be? Could, could my dead, dry prayer life, my dead, dry, are y'all out there? My dead, dry prayer life, my dead, dry pursuit of the word of God is simply because I really have no expectation of this thing producing anything in my life. What, what, what if it's, it's an indictment against it? It reminds me, Cherish, of uh, when the prophet came to the, oh no, yeah, when the king came to the prophet because the prophet was dying and the king come to get the last, last word from the prophet, you know, because the, they were the uh, spiritual advisors of the king. And he was prophesying that you're going to destroy Syria. I'm, I'm going to prove to you, just because God said it, don't mean it's going to come to pass if you don't cultivate it. Watch me. Watch me. You can't just sit back and say, well, God said it. No, I got a partner with what God said. He came to him and said, you're going to destroy Syria. And he, he said, take the bow and arrow in your hands. And, and he kid, and he said, open the window. And he opened the window and, and the, and the uh, king pulled the arrow back. And the prophet walked up and put his arms around him and put his hand on his hands. And he said, now shoot it. And he shot it. He said, that's the arrow of deliverance flying through the air. He said, now take the, the arrows in your hand and beat them on the ground. Now, he doesn't have the prophetic word. I'm gonna, you're going to destroy Syria. And said, the king took the arrows and he just tapped them on the ground three times. Just kind of like. And the Bible says the, 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 the prophet was angry. God was angry at his complacency and said, you should have took the arrows and you should have beat them four or five times. He said, you should have put some, you, you, you should have put some activity with the prophetic word in your life. He said, now you're only going to defeat them three times. In other words, the fruit you're going to get out of it is going to be measured by the activity you put in it. Can I tell you, that's what kingdom life does to you. You get out of it what you put into it. It's called divine reciprocity. Oh, my God. Are, are y'all getting this, all this? I wonder if that looks like our prayer life. Just You know, my Bible says, I know it ain't all about emotion and all. I'm trying to get to emotion. I probably won't. But it does say the effective Fervent prayer of a righteous man, it accomplishes a whole lot. Not a cold, dead, dry, heartless. Now, I mean, you ain't got to be loud as me, but if our heart and passion ain't in it, it's a prayer that don't move the heart of God. Cultivate it. So there should be such a faith-filled expectation of the goodness of God that the only fear involved would be the fear that I'm going to miss it. I'm going to say that again. They should be such a faith-filled expectation, amen, of the goodness of God and the greatness of God that I'm so afraid I'm going to miss it. Fear is a good motivator to get you out of your recliner. The fear of missing it. 
will get you out of your recliner. It'll get you to Bible study when everybody else is staying home. No, I got to be there. I may miss a revelation tonight. I, I, got, I, I, I don't want to miss anything tonight. I believe we're about to see a move of God. Our country's turned upside down so it can be right side up. But I believe in the midst of that, we're going to see a move of God. And I am so trying to position Life Church that we don't miss it. Do you know that God can move through the church in all of his power and you get it and you miss it. You miss it, you get it. You, huh? Because it's looking for ground that is prepared. Who has said, I am not missing what you're going to sell. That's why people sits in good churches and dries up on the bone. It's because they didn't come with a fear of missing something. Let me tell you about me. I don't care if he's Pentecostal, Baptist, Methodist, Lutheran. Kojic, Church of God in Christ. I can get something out of his preaching. I guarantee you. Why? Because I'm always looking for something and I'm hungry for something. I always taught my kids, you got to eat the fish and throw the bones out. Huh? Just eat the good stuff and throw the rest to somebody else. Y'all can have that junk if you want to. As a matter of fact, man, I wish I could get further. Listen to this. It's the expectation of the promise and the fear of coming short of it that makes the pursuit tolerable. Not just tolerable, doable. And not just doable, enjoyable. Reasonable. I'm going to say it again. It's the expectation of the thing promised. From Genesis to Revelations and everything in between in the kingdom. It's the expectation, Dylan, of the promise and the fear of coming short of it that makes this pursuit reasonable and enjoyable. <laughs> Ain't that what Jesus said? Hebrews, uh, is that scripture you're trying to give me, babe? He, Hebrews 12 and 2. It says, look at to Jesus who, th who for the... <laughs> Somebody quote it for me. Looking unto Jesus, the author. Is she quoting that scripture? What? The girl knows her Bible. Uh, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, overlooking the shame. You see, if you have no expectation of the good, sacrifice is unacceptable. You know, I'm a workaholic. I've worked all my life. I can, I, can, I can tell you I like to work. I do. But I don't like to work if I'm not getting paid. <laughs> every one of you are not going to work every day that has a job because you love your boss. <laughs> uh, I, mean, I mean, you may like your boss. Amen. But I promise you, <laughs> Cherish is an old Jesus. Amen. If they were to quit paying you, it wouldn't be long. You wouldn't be going. Can I tell you, expectation is what makes the kingdom enjoyable and doable. It's because what you're enduring is because of the reward that's coming from it or the blessing that's coming from it. Oh, here's one. Here's a good scripture. Write this down. Oh, it's a, a, a lovely scripture. It's, it's just beautiful. 1 Corinthians 9 and 10. He said... He that plows must plow in hope. And he that thresh in hope should be partaker of his hope. In other words, you know what, Benny? Plowing is hard work. You know, especially from here because they're plowing with oxen and all that. He said, but what makes the plowing acceptable, doable, and even enjoyable is my expectation of the crop it's going to produce. If your prayer life is not filled with expectation, you will not pray long. If you're just reading your Bible for the sake of reading your Bible, you're not going to read very long. But if you ever get into you that I'm coming to this thing to receive the reward of this thing, all of a sudden I'm afraid I'm going to miss it. So now what was obligational duty becomes enjoyable. Am I making sense to anybody? When prayer becomes an end instead of a means, you're not going to last long. Think about that a minute. When Bible study becomes an end instead of a means, you won't study long. 
When church attendance becomes an end instead of a means, you're going to falter in your faithfulness. What do you mean by that? Well, I did my religious duty. That's the end. No, no, no. It's the means to the fruitfulness of God in your life. Man, I'm just going to slow down because I'm not going to get to where I'm going. Uh, tell your neighbor, protect the seed. Tell your other neighbor, it's very susceptible. It's very susceptible. <laughs> That's a mouthful. But every seed, every scripture, every Bible study, every prayer meeting, and every private time with God has the potential to produce 100 times what you're planning. Oh, my God, think of it that way. huh? The problem with most churches, I'm not getting a good return on my investment. It's because you don't understand this principle. When you start getting a hundred times back what you put into it, it's because you planted well, you cultivated well. Man. Man. We'll try to shift into in about eight minutes. Remember this, though. I'm sowing seed tonight. You're the gardens. This is all seed. Everything comes from God and seed. Every word is a seed, right? But know this about that seed. Every seed planted in you, sis, is countercultural to the seed Adam planted in you. Think about it. Every seed out of this Bible is a foreign culture to what you were born in. It's counter-cultural. It attacks your old defeated culture. Don't it? It's so counter-cultural. I want to talk more about that, but it's really not. But I said that just for this statement. Therefore... This seed will take intentionality. You will naturally lie. <laughs> You'll naturally sin, right? Because you was born in sin. You don't teach a man to sin. He will naturally sin because he is born in iniquity, shaped in iniquity and whatever that scripture says. Somebody quote it for me. Okay. Because that's the Adamic nature. This right here, when it comes into your life, is a counter-cultural to the way you talked, the way you walked, the way you acted, and it comes in seed form. And if you don't cultivate that seed to start pushing against that other culture, your environment will snuff out the seed. Am I right about it? Am I right? right? So it leads me to my lesson tonight. Are y'all ready now? You will have to set your feelings. Remember we started off with feelings from God is, a, is a, a, a gift. It's the grace of God. You're going to have to set your feelings and emotions and thoughts in a position to produce the kingdom of God. you got to set your feelings and emotions. Write this down. We'll spend five minutes on it and we'll pick it up next time. Write down Colossians 3 and 1 and 2 and 3. Uh, Colossians 3 and 1 through 18. Try that. Try the whole chapter. Write it all down. Read it. But it says, set your affections on things above. If you be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting on the right hand of the Father. Amen. Set your affections on things above, not on things of earth. Set your affections. Okay, now I wanted to go into how do I cultivate feelings and emotions that come from God? How to teach me, teacher, how do I actually take what you're teaching me and make it work? Okay, let's start with our feelings and emotions. Because that's one of the greatest and biggest things in your life. God's a God of feeling and emotion. He created them, right? And this scripture is, says, set them on things above, meaning things in a higher realm, right? Things that are countercultural to how you used to see things. This is where you have to begin to work with God. Can I tell you this? Write this down. Set your affections. Don't let them set you. Set your affections. Uh, we, let's use the word feelings. Don't let, uh, set your feelings. Don't let them set you. 
Immature believers let their feelings govern their dispositions because they don't know how to cultivate the divine feelings of God. Here's why. I just told you, set your affections. Don't let them set you. Why? Because, hear me now, your actions will automatically follow your affections. Your actions are going to follow your feelings. You see something sad, you're going to cry. You see something funny, you're going to laugh. You see something serious, you're going to get serious. Your, your, your actions, your external actions will automatically follow your affections. Catch this, this is big. Never try to alter your actions without resetting your affections. This is really powerful. Never try to alter your actions without resetting your affections. That's what religion does. That's what religion does. Okay, and we're not worried about that you don't love God, you have no feelings for God, you have no desire for God. We're just going to train you, don't do this and don't do that. That's what you call training your actions without resetting your affection. Can I tell you, if you can get your affections reset, your actions will follow suit. Amen. If, if you can just fall in love with Jesus, I guarantee you, you're not going to need an accountability partner saying, don't look at her. <laughs> what kind of marriage would I have if I, uh, she had my body, but she, <laughs> that was not supposed to be funny, but she didn't have my heart. <laughs> Are you listening to me? Amen. Then, then uh, if she had, she didn't have my heart. She didn't have my feelings. She didn't have my emotions, but I was here with her. You know, all the time I'd be, ooh, wondering eyes. Are, y'all, are you following me? And she would always have me by the belt loop. <laughs> huh? You better stay right here. You better stay. God has to do us like that all the time because we've tried to change our actions without resetting our affection. But when I fell in love with her, uh, it delivered me from all of those temptations. Are y'all catching this? And when we come into church, religion tries to govern your actions and never deals with your emotions and your affections. And you know what that's called? Bondage. You may not be addicted to drugs anymore. You may not be addicted to this anymore. May not even be womanizing anymore, but we might as well be because that's where my heart is. Are y'all catching this right now? So we're going to learn, not tonight, obviously. I'm running out of time. Catch these statements. We're going to learn to set our affections on things above, and then I'm not fighting me all the time. I'm not making myself, yes, say it real loud. Quote, read that scripture. Yes, ma'am. Perfect scripture. The people online can't hear that, but she's talking about scripture in Ephesians where it says that Christ may dwell in your hearts being rooted and grounded in love. Let me tell you what, Christianity is a ball and chain if you're trying to train yourself to be better but never set your affections in a different place. I want to read what I have written here and you may want to write some of it down. Set your affections, don't let them set you. Your actions will automatically follow your affections. Never try to alter your actions without resetting your affections. When you reset, reset your affections, your actions will become the fruit of your feelings. That's what true freedom looks like. It's not true freedom to alter your actions and leave your affections unchecked. That's not true freedom. That's bondage. Write these scriptures down. You did Colossians 3, 1 through. Set your affections on things above, not on things on earth. Maybe in our next Bible class, we'll break those words down because they really, really 
really get good. I will give you this much. Set your affection means to exercise the mind. It means to be disposed earnestly in a certain direction. That's my part. I have to on purpose start turning my mind towards God. I think it's Isaiah 26, 3 maybe. He will keep him in perfect peace whose mind. What? Somebody help me. He will look at me working with God. He will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is set on Jesus. Listen, wherever your heart's set, your actions are going to follow. You suffering from depression, oppression? It's because your feelings and emotions are being set on something and it produces that action in your life. You got to reset it. Have y'all received anything tonight? Oh my God, I had so much more to pour out into you. Thank you for listening to Life Church Podcast. For more information, go to lifechurchofcolumbia.org.